Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome back to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, we'll be covering Chapter 6 of Book 1, Air, and the winner is... The Fire Ferrets and the Wolf Bats face off in the Pro-Bending Championship when I'm on attacks. The revolution has truly begun, and now your hosts with only slightly less theatrical bents than the Wolf Bats, Matt, Emily, and Devendra. Hello, welcome back to Republic City Dispatch, brought to you by Cabbage Corp. Republic City's trusted name in technology for over 50 <laughs> years. Uh, I am Matt Patches, and with me, as always, is uh, Devendra Hardawar. Hello. And uh, our friend Dave Seven Gonzalez is actually off penguin sledding somewhere, so he was not able to join us for today's episode. But to replace him, we found an even possibly more savvy uh, airbender fan, and that is Emily Gindelsberger. Am I pronouncing that right, Emily? You are indeed. Awesome. She is the uh, recapper for The Legend of Korra at the AV Club, where everyone should go for the most intellectual breakdown of this show ever. Of so course. So I congratulate you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. And um, so Emily is going to be providing insight instead of uh, Dave today. And But we will kick off first with Devendra. Quick summary of today's episode. Yeah, so this episode, uh, this is the sixth episode in the series, and uh, it's all about, what, our fire ferrets uh, fighting off the wolf bats. We have that great climactic battle. The wolf bats apparently cheat a lot, and nobody says anything, or at least the refs don't. It's like real life. Yeah, sort of, except even more blatantly insane. So (laughs) I'm not sure where they would have gone with that plot. But anyway, uh, once it's all over and the wolf bats uh, win through cheating... Aman shows up, they take over the arena with his, like, hidden uh, people within the audience, and all hell breaks loose, and he makes his statement, and Korra goes after him, and luff- luckily, um, Toph's daughter kind of gets in there, too. Like, she, uh, we get some really interesting history between her and Tenzin, and I found that, uh, did we speculate that? In the last episode, or the I one think we- so. I think she was the only reasonable option. Yes, for yes. the the trio that Tenzin found himself in the past. So apparently, she's holding a grudge after I don't know what ten years or many many years. And then yes, Korra goes after Aman. Doesn't quite work out, um, but there's a big battle at the end, and we kind of we kind of get a sense of how big this thing is going to be, like how big Aman's uh, general war against the city and against the bending population will be. And we also see these weapons. That will that will help uh, Aman's people to kind of fight back against the benders through electricity, or as I like to put it, technology. Everyone's a chi blocker when you have electric gloves. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, and the winner is marks the halfway point in uh, Book One Air, and. Coming off of last week's episode, which was very intimate, it was relationship-driven. It kind of strayed away from the Amon plot. We didn't even see him. Now here he comes big and bold and drops a giant story bomb that's going to change the whole world of Republic City, the whole world of Korra. Um, Emily, what did you think of this episode following up last week and kind of where it pointed to, where it's going now? I thought it was a really neat lead into the second half of the of the season. Like, it definitely put sort of a wrap up on the on all of the pro bending stuff um which like i i had a lot of fun with that like i love sports movies so i'm totally <laughs> into that uh but yeah no that it'll leave a lot more space for the for the next uh to get on with the main plot but mm-hmm. uh, what i really thought was interesting was the was those gloves cuz they're basically like cuz it's nickelodeon they can't show guns that shoot you know bullets i think they can have guns that shoot 
like Zappy rays or something. Yeah, yeah bubbles, <laughs> various rainbows, uh, <laughs> like magical guns. The, yeah, but the but the electric gloves sort of serve the same function as concealable, you know, potentially deadly weapons that you know that's going to take the the role of guns. So I'm really mm-hmm. interested to because like people have been sort of speculating on like, well, why hasn't anybody invented any guns yet? And so I think this is the well, here it here they are. And this is about like the gen- if you were to relate this world's time to our timeline, right? This is about the time where we'd see we're we're seeing more industrialization within the city and the city looks like a, you know, steampunk industrialized place. So it makes sense for stuff like this to start appearing. Um, but, you know, Dave, you had mentioned that this reminded you of, uh, or sorry, Matt, this re- reminded you of uh, Princess Mononoke. And uh, that's actually a really good point because I've seen that quite a bit in anime. And it may just be like um, Japan's sort of uneasy relationship with like spiritualism and also modern life. Um, it's it's a country like that doesn't really have one religion, right? You know, Shintoism is usually... Um, uh, seen as like a Japanese thing, but they also consider themselves Buddhists and so many other things. Like it's 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 a tough conversation there, and it's funny how the show goes into that. You know, in past episodes, we've actually kind of talked about how Korra might be building to this. I think mm-hmm. that the emphasis on technology is really important, how it's exploding in Republic City so that we can have a stronger development of the spiritual world and how important that's going to be in Korra's relationship. Um, I do feel like this episode, I was waiting for more revelations here, mm-hmm. maybe more information, especially after six episodes where I, I, I haven't seen her training a lot. I haven't seen what Korra's big path is going to be. Um, and I wanted maybe a little more of that. But I think with the introduction of these electric gloves, the technology aspect really, really emphasized that um, we'll have to swing in the other direction with the pendulum and really see the spiritual side of things now in Republic City. And I'm really eager to get to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the funny thing is Amon still seems uh, – and Emily, I think you said something like this in your recap this week, that Amon, you know, we, he was sympathetic in the beginning. We understand his problems. <laughs> but now he's just like – he comes on the radio and says, I'm going to destroy stuff. And then he shows up and he's like, I'm going to give a big speech. Um, do you think we're yeah. losing Amon's ambiguity here? Are we <laughs> – it almost, to be honest, like, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Occupy Wall Street in the sense not that they're evil yeah, or that yeah. they wear masks sometimes, but uh, in the sense that, like, at like they purposely had no, you know, message, no, no, like, on the line, this is what we want sort of thing. And you, so people would ascribe to them a sort of reasonable uh this is what they want. This is what reasonable people want. Uh, and the more, and and that was very smart because with any sort of broad based movement, the more you uh, let people start making specific demands, the more people are going to be like, "Oh, I don't want that one. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I like that particular uh, part of your platform." Mm-hmm. I, I sort of felt like that. That was what uh, the the. It's just sort of narrowing it down. At first, we could be like, "Oh, yeah." Dude has dude dude kind of has a point in all of that vague stuff he's talking about about you know being unequal because like who who doesn't you know hear that and be like yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> <We're unequal>. yeah. <laughs> that sucks uh, but I think the more specific that uh, he gets the the less sympathetic it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we actually I mean we see him sort of hurt people quite a bit in this episode and disrupt that whole thing, destroy the pro-bending arena. 
in a way oh, to like the violent he gets. That's good. yeah. Now it's getting a little crazier because before it just sounded like he wanted democracy or something like some sort of civil rights for non-benders. And uh, now it's getting to be a little crazier. Right. He was just going to hold rallies until he <laughs> blew up the stadium. Yeah. Um, I also really liked Tano of the Wolfbat's face as he was getting uh, his his bending taken away. Like yeah. that every time yeah. they do that, it's so terrifying. And Amon's like power is so uh, 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 physical that it, mm-hmm. I just that spins chills down my spine. Mm-hmm. It's a great bloodless way to like you know just evoke fear in the series too because you can't show too much blood. Yeah. And what they're doing essentially is taking away something spiritual or something. He's hitting uh, chi points or something. So it's like it's not something that has to be too gory, but it can still be scary. And and I wanted to get in before because I think this episode sets up a lot more than it really digs deep into the world of Korra. Are mm-hmm. there things about this episode that you guys really dug, just uh-huh. like that stand out as as exceptional storytelling or art or anything? Well, this is uh, Chief Beifong's episode, right? This is her chance to shine. We yeah, I kept thinking so. about you. You were waiting for more metal bending, and here <laughs> I it do, is. and I love metal bending. So I love the background with her and Tenzin, even though it doesn't make her make sense for her to be annoyed after so many years, but whatever. And the metal bending is awesome. Like, I just love that concept. I love creative uses of powers like that, and it basically turns them into, like, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. 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 <laughs> I really loved that last, that last fight. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are just so many neat uh, details in it. Just the, the the glass breaking. You finally get to see you know her use those things or to see metal bending in a non like riot squad sort of yeah, situation. Because yeah. before it's always been like a whole bunch of people ganging up on one person. Uh, seeing it sort of one on one was really interesting, and uh, it, it was also interesting to see that like how physical like just again i just love that there was that one shot where like the where she's finishing up fighting with the lieutenant and she mm-hmm. just like elbows him straight in the face <laughs> that and you get to see it from his point of view i just thought that was so awesome <laughs> especially it's funny because the show has so many action set pieces like we've seen a bunch already within six episodes but everyone still seems fresh to me like the, mm-hmm. the way they shoot I guess shoot is a weird way of saying in animation, but the way they design this fight, yeah. kind of using the whipping motions of the chains to metal bend, I just thought was so intricate and um, fresh. After seeing so much of Korra, you know, fire bending and punching yeah. guys, like seeing uh, Lin Bai Fong using her whips, is, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And most most of the action scenes usually introduce something new. Like we get something new to be impressed by. And uh, I don't know. Metal bending just really does it for me. Also, (laughs) like I used to do um, back in college, I used to do like, uh, you know, role playing games um, like Dungeons and Dragons type stuff. And I love the White Wolf games. Seeing this sort of like creative use of power set up in the original Avatar series is like something people would do if they were just like hanging around having some sort of tabletop gaming campaign with this world. It's like, you know what? I could turn metal bending into this really <laughs> useful tool for also, you know, transportation and all sorts of cool things. Legend so, of Korra is the like, greatest fan fiction effort. It, it, in time. many ways it is. I think we've <laughs> talked about that. Yeah. Um, an interesting point in that final battle that kind of left the question mark over my head was um, Korra kind of shoots up into the air. She wants to chase Amon and yep. she's using water bending and she shoots herself all the way up, but she doesn't quite make it. I don't know if I missed something there, but the, is that what, what happened? Did she I just, lose I think it was ab- too far. Like she didn't she have, can't do it. 
Yeah. I think there just maybe wasn't enough water in the pool. <laughs> yeah, or something. I just saw I'm, – I'm glad that I'm still seeing limitations to what Korra is able to do. She's mm-hmm. not able to just suddenly be a great hero. And I think sometimes I saw that in, uh, in Aang um, in, the, in the original show. You know, he had this power that he could unearth accidentally. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Korra seems limited. She she seems like a powerful person, especially when she's in her prime, when she's airbending and punching or firebending mm-hmm. and punching um, and, and just being on the attack. But then when she really tries to push herself, she's not that far yet. And I like that she has hurdles that she has yet to climb, so she can't yeah. pull this stuff off. She has really human limitations. And you, you think of like a, a, a Aang in the Avatar state, right? It, at times, that seemed like a weird plot point, too. It was sort of like a... Goku and the original Dragon Ball mm. and how like he could all of a sudden become a giant ape and start trouncing like screwing everything up. So I, I, I do like the way it's definitely more humanized in this series, as as are many things. Emily, is there anything else in this episode that kind of stood out to you? I, I really liked the beginning before we get into all the bend, the pro bending and the big fight scene. There's Tarlock. Thoughts on Tarlock? I'm still is he the slimiest person ever? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what he's doing. I haven't quite made up my mind about that. He seemed like he was very clearly like mm-hmm. setting up uh, Beifong to take a fall oh, with for that. Sure. Uh, but I'm I still haven't made up my mind on whether that's because he's like there's some connection with the Equalists or whether there's, he's just like yeah whatever I could you know. Who would be better to take over the police force than the task force guy? I'm also <laughs> that sort of thing. There's so I don't know. The original show did a really good job of having these kind of mean characters. I wouldn't call them villains. They just had their own goals in mind and they didn't mind like shafting Aang and the crew like just for their own goals. I'm, I'm, try- I'm wondering if Tarlock mm-hmm. is in that same boat or if he has a grander scheme connected to Amon. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he seems like a character that will totally, yeah, be ready for the new regime when Amon takes over and he wants a place of power or something. But we also got a couple, like, a few more frames of that flashback yeah. with adult Aang and uh, sort of trying to tell us what was going on. Still really unclear, but, uh, you know, Tarlock's, he's more, the, he's definitely there in some, like, great capacity. And I'm also, I'm a big Tenzin fan. And yeah. I'm finally seeing Tenzin in, like, full soccer dad mode in this episode, <laughs> which just warms my heart, you know, on the sidelines yeah. yelling at the refs. And um, I like that he has his own deal. You know, I, the, the his relationship history is a, is a detail that with mm-hmm. only a limited amount of episodes seems like something that doesn't really need that time in the grand scheme of things. But it's obviously important. It's obviously being cared for. Even in the smallest details in this episode, him and Bai Fong have this uh, scuffle that is just a beautiful relationship thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just excited to see that play out. And I don't, know if, I don't know if it'll be a big deal or not. But I love Tenzin and I mm-hmm. hope that in the wake of this, this shift, this midway shift, that him and Korra will become closer. I see it having to be that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was uh, frankly bummed that he that the only flying guy in the house was not uh, I guess not was still like unconscious when the big fight on the roof was happening because I have been a little <laughs> psyched to see him fight somebody in a pure like whoa that would be really cool we, we don't get any air bending without him 
I know. He's, he's, he's the Yoda of the series right now, right? Or yeah, is he the no, Obi-Wan? You know like, we can't see up. him yet. Yeah. But the best thing is he's neither of those because he has faults. Oh, yeah. That's what yeah. I like about him. He's not Yoda who's this perfect meditation, you know, like perfectly in tune with the spirit mm-hmm. world guy. He's like a guy. He's not some aesthetic problems. monk that's sitting in a swamp somewhere. Yeah. He has <laughs> a family. He has relationships. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, when when he does lay out his powers, it's going to be intense. Yeah, no, it's like I I kept thinking of him as is sort of like an Atticus Finch sort of guy. <laughs> Just like when you like when he you know has to shoot the rabid dog, he's going to do it in one shot. That sort of thing. Mockingbird, mm-hmm. anybody? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, so just kind of moving on to what this episode sets up oh wait first off i wanted to say that this is a really small detail that i just absolutely loved and emily i saw you mention in your recap as well the um the slow motion mask pulling up sequence where they're all <laughs> revealing that they're sitting in the audience I, from a directorial sweet. standpoint is like just one of the most beautiful things i've seen in the series so far yeah i literally watched it twice i like <laughs> rewound it i was like that is amazing <laughs> although i guess chief Bayfong's security wasn't that great no Apparently he didn't like search like- yeah, they didn't search bags or anything. What is this mysterious device everybody seems to have in their bags? I don't know. You'd think that as metal slash earthbenders, they would be able to kind of sense or feel something hidden in popcorn. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That would be really interesting. They need they need the force. <laughs> um, but jumping ahead, I, I wanted to, Devinder, you kind of brought it up, this flashback. We see another sequence of this flashback which i believe is a couple more scenes of uh this trial this strange thing that ang is going through uh toff makes an appearance adult toff telling Mm -hmm. ang something she points into the the abyss and uh ang does some furious airbending and yakon uh this mysterious character that i believe was referenced uh, two episodes ago in uh, um what's it called vision Uh, i can't remember um, <laughs> voice of the night, voice of the night. Um, I, I'm, I'm still not sure how that's playing into everything or if there were hints from this episode to give us a clear depiction of what this event might be. Um, and, and Emily, I know in your recap, did you mention that you actually see Ang go into the Avatar state? Yes. In this, yeah, uh, he's all, he's all yeah. glowy. He's and, glowy. Uh, yeah, I think it's a – the. That was cool, uh, or it was. It seemed significant for sure. Like being in the Avatar state in the middle of a city, you can wreck a lot of stuff. Uh, but the one that I thought was more interesting was the very last flash. Uh, is is it sort of turning off? Like the light goes out of his eyes and his little arrow. Um, and I thought that that seems like that's going to be one of those big plot moments when we eventually get to see that. Because he still looks real mad, but he's not like, <laughs> but he's not glowing. Right. Well, at this point, he can control the avatar state. So mm. theoretically, if he ever goes into it, he's doing it on his own volition. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because what, I mean, is this moment that we keep seeing about anger? Is it about when mm-hmm. bending shifted from something noble to something overpowering? And that, and and that's what I'm kind of curious. If what connection Yakon has to Amon, what was this um, changing factor? And do people like Toph are are they telling Ang that there's something wrong with bending? And like how, how how do you see that connecting kind of down the road? Hmm. 
That's a tough one. That's the thing. I really have no idea where they're going with with this thing. I'm just kind of like, I'm I'm I've, I got nothing for something you on mysterious. That one. Something yeah. mysterious. <laughs> well, I mean, we've we've talked a bit about how you know Republic City is sort of this weird idealized um, place that you know Ang was trying to build up with Zuko, and I, I think at some point we're beginning to see like that dream has crumbled. And maybe he had to do some crazy things to actually make this city a reality. And maybe that required the abuse of his avatar powers, like something that stained his soul all the way to Korra. Who knows? Yeah. And, you know, one of the big conversations we've been having on the podcast the past couple of weeks has been when are we going to see Korra in the avatar state? Mm-hmm. And the more I think about it, you know, when I see Aang backing away from the avatar state, I wonder if that's what this is leading up to or not or if if the the avoidance of the avatar state is more important to her i'm kind of curious from a um developing powers standpoint like where where do we think cora is going or what does she actually need to learn because that's been my biggest Mm -hmm. thing with the series so far like i don't really know what she has to learn in this crazy uh, amorphous world that is Republic City, whereas the original series I felt was clear cut. You know, Ang mm-hmm. learn all the powers and then go kick the Fire Lord's butt. Like yeah. I don't really know how to. It reminds me of something like the Dark Knight. How do you fight chaos and how do you fight wishy washy politics? Do you, do you, <laughs> do you, you abuse your own powers to put this person to rest? Or that's a that's a lot for a Nickelodeon TV it is. show. It's totally a lot. <laughs> But you know we've seen this series like handle some pretty some pretty deep stuff I think for for a kids channel and definitely at a more mature level than even the original Avatar series so I don't know like uh, they've they've never mentioned specifically the Avatar state Korra has never said that's anything she's concerned about mm. although I have a feeling given her personality and the way she's just so very different than Aang that when it first appears it's going to destroy like a like a huge portion of the city and that's probably something that's going to get her kicked out right. who knows well where do you see it going now that Amon has kind of flipped the city on its head just from like immediately after this episode Emily you brought up an interesting point in your recap this week about Mako and Bolin needing jobs which I just <laughs> thought was like a really practical <laughs> thing but it, it makes perfect sense yeah they're going to need some place to live and they're going to have to get jobs and they're probably not I don't know it seems like the you know the uh somebody one of my commenters made the point that like it's not like Mako's kind of dating the richest girl in the city so it's not like they're going to starve or mm-hmm. anything so i don't know i wouldn't be surprised to see them get do you think it'll divide the- them i mean i i i'm wondering where Cora, Mako and Bolin will stand after this debacle yeah i'm I, like i totally think it's going to end up with uh, Mako having a job and Cora and Bolin hanging out as sort of younger teenagers <laughs> and Mako being stuck being the adult eh, we'll see though um the other thing i was thinking i i, I still feel that asami has been kind of on the on the fringe since her introduction mm-hmm. a few episodes ago and you know i know her dad uh is is basically the technological innovator of republic city and now Except that, for Cabbage Tech. Well, let's not forget about Cabbage Tech, all right? Isn't he in cahoots with them? I thought he was – I thought he might have been in cahoots with them. I feel like if he is an innovator, then the electric gloves th- – this must all weave together. 
at uh-huh. some point. And I'm wondering if someone brought up – I can't remember if it was on the Tumblr or if I was reading through AV Club comments. But that, um, <laughs> There's so many of them. I know. Oh I the 500 <laughs> AV Club comments. I love them. Um, if, if Asami – you know, we've pegged her as a, as a villainess in the past. But I wonder if she uh, could be playing both sides. If she knows something but she has feelings for Mako and she wants to help these guys. I'm wondering what her big picture story is going to be in this technological side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually I, I actually wanted to, to ask you guys that. Have you, got, did, have you guys watched Full Metal Alchemist? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so I realized like halfway through watching the first episode that she was in, like the whole time I was like, ooh, she isn't trustworthy. Like, I don't know what it is about her. <laughs> well, I don't know it's what her it is. typical anime looks, facial, right? It's she like looks exactly like lust. That yes. the, and uh, so I realized that about halfway through. And so since then, I've been trying to like counter my reaction to that. <laughs> just like I just automatically dislike her. But there's really no reason to textually. <laughs> she hasn't really done anything right. except be nice and kind of. And I mean, other than Eskimo kissing, which is just disgusting. that is the biggest offense. That is, I uh, know. Okay. She's definitely been mysteriously nice, maybe too much so. Um, Her initial run-in with Mako seemed too coincidental to me. Like, something seems fishy there. And also, like, yeah, she does look a lot like Lust from Full Metal Alchemist. And the way her face is designed just kind of evokes a sort of sense of mystery and potentially evil, like almost in a Catwoman sense. So, Hmm. yeah, yeah, it's unclear what to make of her yet, but she has no powers. And she seems like somebody who would easily fall in line with equalists. And she has the money to help back them, too. So, yeah. I found it interesting that she's like the first female character in pretty much the whole series that's worn any makeup, which is like, I don't know. I'm just like, oh. She must be evil. Yeah, I don't know. There's something I haven't seen before. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually a helpful detail because it's a, it's a good reminder that there are socioeconomic classes Yes. In Republic City and that she is not like Korra and she's not like Mako and Bolin and she has a connection to things that we haven't seen yet. You know, we got a taste for the rich when uh, Mako and Asami went out to dinner and I like that and I, I, I hope we see more of a divide now that um, I assume that the equalists are going to be kind of like taking over part of the city or, or there, there's going to be a real split. The divide will be more apparent and I think Asami is key to that. Uh, which I'm excited to see. Uh, mm-hmm. re- really crazy, not nitpick, but uh, detail here. Am I wrong that Mako um, ha- did have a job? He went to a job at one point where he was lightning bending into like. Oh a yeah, generator. no, that, that yes. was like a thing he did part time okay. to get yeah. some money. If oh, every, I love if, that. If lightning bending is commonplace. Like, what is the problem with these electric gloves? <laughs> <laughs> what well, do you mean? What is the problem? Can't they just lightning bend it away? I, yeah, it's uh, it's a little tough. And it, lightning bending was it was initially a specialized form right. of fire bending, right? But now it seems like yeah, given the fact that they have lightning benders in that factory, that it's a little more commonplace. <laughs> but I get the sense that you know the people who can actually bend are still in the minority uh, compared to everybody else in the city. They haven't really made that clear yet because we've spent a lot of time with the benders. But uh, you know, having these gloves just gives the the majority who may not have any sort of like similar power to have some sort of say. All right. I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm being yeah. a nitpicker. <laughs> no, no. I, that was one thing. Cause actually we haven't ever seen, I like, although Mako can obviously lightning bend, uh, we've never seen Korra do it even in her like right. firebending mastery, like the, the, mm-hmm. the little 
test that opened the series. She had, she didn't do it there. So I'd assume she can't do it. So I would assume at some point she's going to need to learn how to do that. And I yeah. would assume that's where we're going to probably see Zuko <laughs> again. That would be my guess. That would be the excuse I'd see for getting him back into it. Because you know he's still alive. And, you know, if he's alive, he's going to show up at some point. So... Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Davinger, is there anything, or Emily too, is there anything else that um, stood out to you? I love all the, the Lin Beifong stuff, and I think she's going to play an even bigger role. And I also think, like, she's... I, I have, like, a chart of people that I'm expecting to die at some point this season. Uh, Bolin is on that chart, oh, and now Lin Beifong seems like there. People, uh, people on <laughs> Tumblr and Coronation <laughs> believe that the uh, the Coronation, like intro to Republic City, the interactive map suggests that either Mako or Bolin will die because they they say that they would sacrifice each other for one mm-hmm. another. And um, People have been watching too much Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <Seriously>. will die. <laughs> Everyone then, will die. Too much Serenity, too much Game of Thrones. No, but like, any, any anime the series. Nickelodeon show. They're not going to kill one of the main characters. Uh, uh, Jet was expendable. Yeah, he was like a one-off guy. But I do think that this show is more mature and uh, accepting of – I mean there's serious danger and and the foreboding nature of it I think would allow that to happen, especially if redemption is an important part of this. I feel like redemption is going to be a bigger aspect of the show once we start (laughs) learning what this flashback is going to be. Like what went wrong in Republic mm-hmm. City? What went wrong with the characters that we love and who really needs to redeem themselves or mm-hmm. or put the priorities of that lifestyle aside? Like is being the Avatar that important? And I do yeah. feel like people will be expendable. I don't – no one's it, safe. It, it makes a certain amount of sense to me too because like this show is definitely aspiring to be more than just a Nickelodeon show. Like you get that jarring sense when you're watching it and like you're watching this great – sort of dark drama and then you go into you know, Nickelodeon commercials, cereal and McDonald's and toys. <laughs> Coming up next, Fred. Yeah. yeah. And then back to Legend of Korra. And then it's like, uh, it, this this show definitely seems to be playing more along the lines of like uh, traditional anime rules. And you brought up um, Full Metal Alchemist, Emily. That's actually a really interesting comparison because that's a great series, great story and sort of similar along the lines too. And that one also featured some pretty heavy character deaths. So I... I I wouldn't rule it out, and also just given the relationship we've seen build up between Mako and Bolin, that would be a really interesting way to just kind of cap off this season and raise the stakes for season two. Um, I, I would oh. be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they do it, too. You would not be alone there. I mean, that would be the ultimate fan troll, and they are yeah. really good at fan trolling. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, they, they certainly don't cater to fan demands as long as it makes thematic sense i'm all for it you know, <laughs> I know I cabbage think tech seemed like a huge uh, fan service plug what, what does cabbage tech oh yeah no that's they, they get their fan servicing out of the way on like the radio broadcast <laughs> yeah um but piggybacking off what you were saying very quickly um to emily i know that it sounded like you were fielding some complaints on uh on your recaps about Korra being a mature character and in comparison to the original show. And I think you mm-hmm. recently revisited some of the episodes and like, there's really no comparison between the first season of airbender and uh, the first season of Korra here. And I just want to, as, as a, as the female perspective, which our podcast is in much need of, as we've been told, <laughs> um, I just want to hear you talk a little bit about where you think 
Korra is in terms of being a dimensional character, especially in uh, comparison to the last show, and just like female characters in general. That's the thing. I don't have a ton to compare it to other than female characters from my own childhood who were all... Uh, you know, which was in the the late eighties and early nineties, and it just didn't. I was just so I, all right. So I uh, people, a couple people, not many, but some of my commenters have sort of been giving me a hard time because I gave this week the and the winner is I gave it an A minus, and I gave the one <laughs> last week an A because that's a really big difference. Uh, but I gave the one last week an A because I thought it was such it was actually specifically for this one line where what let me hold on i have it written down somewhere it's the the compliment that Bolin gives cora which is uh you're the smartest funniest buffest toughest talented uh incrediblest girl in the world and that's the thing he says to get her to go on a date with him and i was just freaking out that it did not include prettiest or sweetest or nicest it that was just amazing uh that they didn't even bother i think at some point like people are talking about her when she's not there and they call her pretty but nobody has ever called her pretty or not pretty to her face Mm -hmm. and that is something that is so absent in all the the female characters that i don't know and she's so and the other the other part that i thought was particularly revolutionary about the character and again i may be missing out on the like the last 10 years of amazing you know female role model cartoon characters but i don't know if that is the case i feel like like i would have merged in pop culture yeah i feel like i would have already seen them (laughs) just because like i i don't know but uh what i really enjoy about that is some of the female characters that are sort of portrayed as role models for for girls that aren't they're they're like I think I used the word anti princess in my in my uh, <laughs> little essay about it because they're not it they're not they don't feel natural they're pretending to be something else like Mulan or they're or they're. Uh, or they're an obvious knockoff of a of a male superhero like like Shira or Supergirl or something like that. They're obviously a knockoff, and that is what I really. And there just wasn't any original female character who could be who was strong and not the, whose primary thing wasn't being pretty or cute or or something or being a knockoff of a male character. I I like that she could still be interested in relationships too. Yeah. And they don't make her, yeah, they don't make her into a a boy with boobs either. They, they, she's (laughs) still obviously a, a girl. And I, and I think it's really great that they're letting that happen. Plus she's not a stick either. Like I love that she's like built like a brick house it like <laughs> it, and it makes sense for her like that's one of the things i always found a little bit of fault with with buffy like i do like mm-hmm. buffy and it did a lot of really amazing things for its era but there's always this sort of sense of uh a, a butt with her like uh she's a cheerleader but she's really strong and really you know powerful and stuff like that and that butt always felt really in hindsight, it feels a little patronizing. It feels like it needs to be taken a little farther to the point where we don't need uh, the qualification of that. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that was just sort of one of the ways for them to sell the original Buffy series because, oh it, yeah, yeah, we didn't had so much trouble just getting it off the ground. But yeah, now like we're at a point where we're seeing some some more interesting roles too. Like I really loved what Whedon did with uh, Black Widow in the Avengers, and also with Ooh, I just uh, saw that. <laughs> yes, and she is she is awesome because she doesn't need superpowers. She's just kind of awesome on her own she's very capable she'll trust her yada yada Mm -hmm. and there's also there's a significant female character uh maria hill the second in commanded shield which i think is also a really smart move they and in in the avengers they never explicitly say oh man you guys are so tough for being girls it's just kind of there you know they're they're there they're in charge get used to it i guess that's Um, where my mm -hmm. wild um cora is not the avatar theory Mm -hmm. of first was born like almost out of a desire to not have her be so powerful (laughs) or choose not to be um yeah just be kind of like a strong female character um as opposed to an empowered one with supernatural elements like of course we care about this girl she has firebending capabilities she's the (laughs) avatar well what if she's just a like a great woman yeah. And that's kind of what I'm hoping yeah. where the show continues to go one way or another, even though everyone on the internet thinks I'm horribly wrong about <laughs> Korra not being the Avatar. Well, there's definitely a reason they haven't brought up the Avatar state or any of the more, like, mystical elements of what it means to be the Avatar. It's just like, she's the Avatar, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, she can bend all the all the different elements right now. And that's – except for air. We haven't seen her do that yet. But, like, that's sort of her big draw. Like, she just happens to have this power. But underneath, she's a normal girl with, you know, normal feelings, too. So I found that interesting. We're seeing that, too, with uh, the next Pixar movie, Brave, is making maybe a really blunt point about how, you know, it's it's about a strong uh, young girl. But I, I like that we're seeing so many more of these things. Yay. Female characters. Yay. I, I'm <laughs> um, Well, I think that about wraps things up. Does anyone does anyone have interjections here? Hmm. Uh, no, more metal bending. That's all I want. More metal bending. I think <laughs> I think uh, Bay Fong will play a bigger part. I feel like she'll be an asset to Korra now that they're kind of on the same wavelength and they realize mm-hmm. they should probably be teaming up. So hopefully, yeah. and they're, those team up moves that they did in this episode really. Uh, that, that really warmed my geeky heart. So. Oh, yeah. I really liked how when uh, Beifong caught her when she was falling, mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. instinct was not to, like, put her on the ground, but it was just to chuck her up into the air after <laughs> Amon. She's like, yeah, go get him. That's right. It's your job. They fight people. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, I think that about wraps things up. Emily, do you have any idea if there's an episode next week or if they're taking a break Ooh, that is still in the air. I believe I'm the last time I've seen uh, it was a new episode. Okay. I there think was no they preview. were maybe doing two. I know there was no preview. Yeah. I was yeah. really I, – I thought that was kind of interesting, like the second half is – because the uh, the clips from all of the previews only went through this episode, right? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're – it's completely black after this. Like no idea what's going on. Great. So we're, we're not 100% positive if there's an episode next week. We will continue <laughs> to do research. But either way, uh, keep checking back on the uh, Republic City Dispatch Tumblr for more information because we're constantly putting things up there. Uh, hopefully we'll have a new episode next week because we love doing this and we get so much response from you guys. So thank you very much. Uh, why, why don't we say our goodbyes here? Emily, who are you? Where can we find you on the internet? <laughs> I'm Emily Gindelsberger, and you can find me at AV Club's TV Club, which is at avclub.com backslash TV. Are you on uh, Twitter? Oh, I am on the Twitter. It's at Emily G, Emily G-E-E, at 
Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Just Google your name. We'll go- <laughs> just Google, yeah, just learn how to spell my name and Google it. It'll God, be a while. Godspeed, followers. And uh, Davindra? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Davindra. I write about technology at venturebeat.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. And I am Matt Patches. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches, P-A-T-C-H-E-S. I'm actually the movies editor of Hollywood.com, so you can find my writings there. Uh, Dave Seven and I run another amazing movie podcast You know that's d- eclipsed by the Slash Filmcast. But uh, it's called Operation Kino, and you can find it on iTunes. Sweet. Thank you very much, Emily, for uh, coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for yeah. having me. I hope I didn't fun. ramble too much. <laughs> no. It was the perfect amount of rambling. That's what we do. Yeah. Ramble. Geeky rambling. Sweet. And that wraps things up for this week. So we will talk to you later. <laughs>